please stand with me as we read from Matthew 28, verses 16 and following. Give honor to his word. We stand to read this holy and infallible word. Matthew 28, verse 16 and following. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Our glorious Lord, we thank you for this, your word, and we pray that you would work in us by your holy word and by your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to live as true disciples. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. You hopefully remember some of these words that I have read to you from the Book of Church Order, namely, really, the Directory of Worship. Uh, when Andrew was baptized, it says this, In our baptism, the Lord puts his name on us, claims us as his own, and summons us to assume the obligations of the covenant. He calls us to believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, to renounce the devil, the world, and the flesh, and to walk humbly with our God in devotion to his commandments. My goal in this message this morning is to give you an explanation of what that means. Now, if you look at the directory for worship and all that's written there concerning baptism, we, I could probably preach a good long series of mini-sermons, but I'm just focusing on one aspect of what does it mean to be a disciple in, in particular, and, the, and also the meaning of baptism. It's important that Andrew received this sacrament this morning, but it's important for everyone else who has received that sacrament to remember their baptism. But also for those of us who have made vows of membership, vows before God and many witnesses, to remember those vows of obligation to serve Christ as his disciples. In verse 16, it mentions that the 11 disciples, and due to the context, I would say the 11 apostles, um, the 11 apostles proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. In other words, there was a certain mountain that he had picked for them to meet at and to find out when that was given, that designation was given. There's a couple of passages to look at. The first is to turn back to Matthew 26. Look at Matthew 26, 31 and following. This is immediately after the Lord's Supper. <coughs> immediately after the Lord's Supper, they sang a hymn or a psalm, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. Verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, You will all... Fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, 
and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Now, so that, that's Christ telling us uh, his plan to go to meet them at Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. Now, we know that Peter didn't keep his word. Peter did deny Jesus three times, and even that final time with cursing. He was ashamed of Jesus even before a servant girl. But then he went on his way and wept bitterly. All the others departed from him as well. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, as far as we know, the only of the 11, remember Judas betrayed him, so that's why there's only 11, the only one of the 11 that, that I know of that went to see Jesus, that went to speak to Jesus, that went to be beside Jesus during his crucifixion was the one disciple which is mentioned, the disciple which the Lord loved, which is John. He loved them all, but there was a special connection between John and Jesus. And that's when Jesus told John, Behold your mother. He told his mother, Behold your son. And John was then obligated to take care of Mary, his earthly mother, um, for the rest of her life. Now, another occasion... If you look back at the, earlier in the chapter, um, it mentions another occasion in, verses, in chapter 28, verse 5 and following. <clears throat> this is after Christ is raised from the dead. The angels speak with the women, and they say this. Now, this is Mary Magdalene and, and another Mary mentioned. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here. For he has risen, just as he said, Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report to his disciples and behold Jesus met them and greeted them and they came and took hold of his feet and worshiped him then Jesus said to them do not be afraid go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee and there they will see me He's speaking about what's going to come to follow in verses 16 and following to the end of the chapter as we look at today's text, the main focus is that you are to remember your baptism and your commitment to follow Christ. You are to remember your baptism and your commitment to follow Christ. You'll see this in two main points. Your worship of the divine Christ. And secondly, your baptism and commitment to discipleship. Let's look at this first main point. Your worship of the divine Christ. Verse 16 and following. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, 
to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. As we just read earlier in verses, um, in chapter 28 earlier, it says in verse 9, they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. This is the second occasion after the resurrection of Jesus that they worshipped Jesus Christ as God. We know it's not permissible to worship an angel or any other created being, but to worship God alone. That's one of the proofs that Jesus here is divine. The eleven worshipped Jesus because they believed he was divine, the eternal Son of God. If you go back in John's uh, high priestly prayer, a glorious high priestly prayer, which John had recorded, Jesus praying, or later on the Holy Spirit gave him remembrance of these things, Jesus said this when he prayed to the Father, Father, glorify me with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus Christ, before he took on flesh, had a perfect holy communion with God the Father. The eternal God the Son had perfect communion with the eternal Father before the world was created. He left paradise to take on flesh as the second Adam, to be our new representative where the first Adam failed. Now, if you remember, Adam ate the forbidden fruit, and by his eating the forbidden fruit, he cast all of his posterity, all his descendants, by ordinary generation, into an estate of sin and misery. That's where we get death. That's where we get illness and sickness, and that's where we get also the condemnation of eternal hellfire for those who do not have Jesus Christ as the second Adam, the new representative. Philippians 2, 6 and 7 says this, Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. <clears throat> the eternal divine Son of God veiled his glory by taking upon himself a human nature, yet without sin. The Shorter Catechism 21 says this, The eternal Son of God which became man and so was and continueth to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. And when we read that passage in Philippians, some people have a bad theory known as the kenosis theory where Christ actually emptied himself of his glory. That's not true. He did not lose of it, any of his divine nature at all, but it's by, not by loss, but by addition of the human nature, he veiled, he covered, he hid his glory. When he's on the Mount of Transfiguration, that glory shines forth in a way that was so awesome that it, they, the disciples who were there didn't even know what to do or say. They were dumbfounded. That's the one occasion. That is an occasion where Christ shows forth his glory. He also shows forth his glory in the book of Revelation. We see the exalted, glorified Jesus Christ, no longer having his glory veiled. But while the eleven apostles worshipped Jesus, verse 17 says, some doubted. Some were doubtful. 
Why did they doubt? What about Jesus did they lack faith in? Is there something that they were struggling in believing? This verse doesn't tell us. Maybe they doubted that he really truly died for all of their sins. But I believe there was one among the eleven who wasn't doubtful any longer. He was doubtful, and that is Thomas. But let's look back at John 20, 24. John 20, starting at verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord is my master and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. I believe, I hope, that it was Thomas that was no longer doubtful, but we don't know. He was doubtful, but at this time he professed Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Master and his God. And that's why you, likewise, are to worship the divine Christ. A further evidence of the deity of Jesus is found in his divine authority. In verse 18, And Jesus came up and spoke to them and saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, if you have a Jehovah's Witness that comes to your door, their belief is that Jesus was not God, but instead he was a first created, very powerful angel through whom God created the the heavens and the earth and everything that exists. And God used this powerful angel, Jesus, uh, who is also called Michael, to create everything that we see. But still yet, he's not God. The problem with this is that here in this passage, Jesus is given authority over heaven and earth of all things, of all the creation. That why would God give his power and authority to an angel, a created being? It doesn't make sense. They are in great damnable error. Jesus here has divine authority. Because he is divine. And even Hebrews chapter 1 says he's even worshipped by the angels, which is something forbidden by angels. Now, based on his divine authority over heaven and earth, Jesus then gives next what is called this great commission. And that leads us to our second point. Your baptism and commitment to discipleship. Look at verses 19 through 20. Go 
therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Christ told these 11 apostles, I believe, not disciples, but in context, the apostles. He told these 11 to go and make disciples of all the nations of the world. Now, obviously, the scope of this great commission here is something that extended beyond their lifetime. That's a big order. The entire world, all nations, that task, that mandate, even extends to us in the year 2024. And Jesus says here that it extends even to the end of the age. And that means even until the return of Christ, the calling of his church, the great commission of the church is to make disciples of all nations. And that should make us more interested in foreign missions. Not only missions in home missions in Louisiana, but foreign missions throughout the entire world. Some are even called not only to give their prayers before God for, foreign, for the work of foreign missions, their money for the work of foreign missions, but God even calls some to serve as foreign missionaries in other nations. When it says here disciple in verse 19, what does that mean? The Greek word for disciple here can also be translated a learner or a pupil, say a student in the school of Christ. Disciples are those who are to adhere earnestly to the teaching of the one they follow, to adhere to the teaching of their master. As consistent Christians who go into classes at a college or even a high school, maybe even junior high, and you have classes that are being taught by atheistic teachers, you have to remember this. You may be called to be a student of that teacher, but you do, you do not, you are actually by God's requirement, not to be a disciple. You are not to be an adherent, a faithful believer in what those people teach. Uh, an example of this was when I was in college. I had to take a secular psychology class, not only just psychology class, an evolutionary psychology class. In other words... God didn't create anything, that everything that we do is based upon evolution. And how do you understand the human brain based upon evolution? And so I, you could say here, I was a student of that professor, but I was not a disciple. I was not an adherent to what he was teaching. And then likewise, we should be the same. Jesus said, <coughs> he says, you are as disciples, to be taught to observe all that I commanded you. Keep in mind that to be a disciple is not merely to be able to repeat information. It's not only to repeat or recite a passage of Scripture or to recite a catechism. It's more than that. A disciple here is to observe, to endeavor to keep or live in the way that Christ taught. When Jesus commanded, it wasn't just what Jesus said in the gospel accounts. It wasn't just what the apostles said that Jesus said. This entire Bible, the Old and New Testament, are all inspired by the Holy Spirit, which is often called 
the Spirit of Christ. All of this Bible, when it is faithfully preached, is Christ speaking to us. God speaks to us through the eternal word. Remember back in John 1, it says the eternal word who was God in the beginning was with God. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Christ is the light of truth given unto man. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, speaking not of the New Testament primarily, but speaking primarily of the Old Testament. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That's what Scripture should do in your calling of discipleship. In order for that to happen, you have to be a people of the book. So how does this church or any church make disciples? Romans 10. I will cut this passage a little short. Romans 10. Says this, starting in verse 9. Says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Skip to verse 14. How then will they call on him? Whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So that's how disciples are made. It's by the preaching of God's word, especially, but it's also by the reading of God's word but also through the witness of God's word. The occasion of uh, the Philippian eunuch in Acts uh, chapter 8, in Acts chapter 8, we don't have to turn there, but remember um, Philip met an Ethiopian eunuch who was riding in a carriage, and he found out that this man was reading Isaiah 53. So he says, do you understand what you're reading? Well, he, he Philip then explained to him that this was the fulfillment in Christ, that the words of Isaiah 53, that the suffering servant was fulfilled in Jesus, and he led him to faith in Christ through this little short Bible study. And then the eunuch was baptized after he professed his faith, saying, I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was baptized, and then he went on his way rejoicing. Fox's Book of Martyrs and many other historical works are full of people coming to faith by the witness of other believers. Everyday Christians, not not necessarily pastors, and that by their witness they came to saving faith. Um, Not only speaking of Ginger and Andrew, speaking of us, we might be called to give our lives as as was recorded in the Book of Martyrs, as some had did for their faith. But ask yourself this, would I be willing to die for Christ if I'm not living for Christ here and now? 
we should be living unto Jesus Christ here and, not, here and now. If we're not, let's pray that God would help us to do so. Remember your baptism, brothers and sisters. Remember your commitment to be a disciple, a adherent, to do all that Christ has commanded you. You worship the divine Christ who revealed himself to be both God and man. And by your baptism, he claims you as his own. And he summons you to the obligations of the covenant to observe all that Jesus has commanded you. That Jesus calls you to believe in him alone as Savior, to renounce the world, the flesh, and the devil, and to humbly walk in devotion to your God and keeping, endeavoring to keep his commandments. That's what it means to be a disciple. Let's pray together. We thank you, our glorious Lord, for this, your word. And we pray that you would work in us mightily, that you would convict us of our sin, that you would help us to draw close unto you, that we would remember our covenant with you, especially those of us who have received that covenant sign of baptism, that we would remember that we are not our own, but that we have been purchased with a price. Help us to live not for ourselves, but for you, O God, for we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.